Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. Every generation faces the challenges thrust upon it by the generation that came before. FDR set the stage for the greatest generation when in his famous Rendezvous with Destiny speech, he said, to some generations much is given, to other generations much is expected. His generation lived up to that promise in a world war, a depression, a cold war, and the building of post-war America. JFK set the stage for the boomers when he asked, ask not what your country can do for you, but do what you can for your country. Boomers took that to heart as they tried to reshape the post-war paradigm, stop the war in Vietnam, ignite and engage in the struggle for civil rights, all the while giving us great music and economic growth. Generation X would try and redefine the nature of work they inherited from boomers, give us more diversity, less prejudice, and the start of the digital age. And it was the generation that gave us our first black president. And today, millennials face the challenge of how they pick up the baton and carry it forward. Their contribution, their imprimatur, is still being written. Will it simply be to scold those that came before? Or as we see millennials doing in Silicon Valley, redefining the very nature of society. We're going to talk about this today with my guest, Jill Filipovic. She's a journalist, lawyer, a weekly columnist for CNN, also a contributing opinion writer for the New York Times and former columnist for The Guardian. She's the author of the previous book, The H-Spot, The Feminist Pursuit of Happiness. And it is my pleasure to welcome Jill Filipovic here to talk about her newest work. Okay, Boomer, let's talk. How My Generation Got Left Behind? Jill, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. Isn't there this long history of kind of generational resentment that each generation seems to find issue with the generation that came before, that gave them the world that they inherited? Absolutely. <laughs> generational warfare was not invented by millennials, you know, saying, okay, right. boomer. <laughs> Certainly, <laughs> you know, when bo- boomers experienced this, right? When boomers were young, they were considered these, you know, entitled right. brats who were trying to change too much too fast. You know, Tom Wolfe wrote that famous uh, New York Magazine article, The Me Generation, about baby boomers. You know, and before then, you know, the beatniks, you know, with their funny way of dress, they were the ones ruining America. So this, this is definitely not new. Um, I think what is new about the current conversation about boomers and millennials is that these are the two largest American generations. Millennials just eclipsed boomers uh, as the largest proportion of, of Americans. And what you've seen in the baby boom generation has been an overwhelming dominance of American culture and politics really for the past several decades. And even though the oldest millennials are now turning 40 this year, we haven't seen millennials get the same kind of toehold in the political power uh, and in the cultural dominance as boomers have enjoyed. That's certainly true. And, and there is evidence upon evidence upon evidence to support that. But when we try to examine why, talk a little bit about what we see, because certainly the boomer generation wasn't necessarily given any great advantage. I mean, they came out of the generation before them that, you know, certainly faced many obstacles. Why is it, in your view, that millennials haven't achieved what what they would have liked? Well, I think boomers were actually given a, a ladder up to the middle class, and many of them climbed it. 
No, boomers went to college in record numbers, and that was because higher education was newly affordable. You had significant state and federal investment in making college accessible to a generation of young people, you know, starting from when LBJ signed the Higher Education Act. So you had boomers who took advantage of that. You had uh, suburban housing that was radically expanded highways to allow people to get to those homes, uh, preferential mortgages that were on offer primarily to white families, and all kinds of investments in the sort of single-family houses that baby boomers wanted. And those investments were hyper-concentrated among white baby boomers and formally excluded black baby boomers. So you know, not every person in this generation had a whole series of advantages, but boomers essentially did have a federal government that worked for them. And by the time millennials came along, a lot of the rungs on that ladder had been torn off. So investment in higher education had decreased. Uh, instead, there was an over-reliance on having students take out loans to pay for college as opposed to grants. You had radically expanding education costs. I mean, even the cost of textbooks went up something like, you know, 1,200%. Um, you had millennials taking on more loans. You had systematic underinvestment in housing, particularly in the big cities where jobs were increasingly concentrated and where millennials needed to move if they wanted to find work. Um, and you also had an underinvestment and a hyper-privatization of healthcare, which is one of the reasons why you see millennial health outcomes are actually worse uh, than they were for baby boomers when they were our age. When we talk about education, though, in, in, in large measure, millennials are, I think, more educated than the boomer generation was in terms of sheer numbers. Yes, the cost was higher, but certainly the educational base is there. Absolutely. Millennials are the most educated adults in American history. Um, and we were certainly told from the time we were young that going to college was the path to a good, stable life. And that was true for baby boomers. There was a direct relationship between having a college degree and seeing a really significant income boost. For millennials, what's happened is that a college degree just allows you to kind of hang on to the middle class. Wages have so dropped out uh, of the blue collar workforce that now a college degree is something like the new high school degree. It's something that you have that you have to have just to stay afloat. Certainly all those things are true. I would stipulate to all of them so many of them are as a result of political decisions that were made, political changes that took place in this country that have more to do with, with a lot of other political factors and social factors than they do with generational change, it seems. Yes and no. I mean, certainly all of, the, all of these things are the result of political choices. Um, and many of those choices, you know, were also made well before boomers were the ones making the political decisions that, that shaped millennial futures. But you look at the political choices made by the boomer generation. The first uh, president that baby boomers elected was Ronald Reagan. And that's a moment where you see a lot of the seeds for what millennials now experience being planted. And, you know, boomers are an interesting generation because they're actually the most p politically polarized generation in America. They're really split pretty much right down the middle between liberal and conservative. But what you've seen is that the more conservative baby boomers have dominated politically in America for several decades. And many of those choices, you know, the underfunding of public education, um, the privatization of health care and 
the fact that healthcare costs went up while healthcare outcomes uh, steadily declined. These were political choices made largely by baby boomer voters. And of course, not every baby boomer is responsible for that, right? Because half of baby boomers were voting in a different direction. Um, but among that cohort, there were really clear political decisions that, frankly, mortgaged my generation's future. I mean, you had boomers that were voting as early as, I mean, you had boomers that voted for Nixon in, in, in that election. You had boomers that voted for Carter in that election. I mean, Reagan was really a little later in terms of, of, of even the boomers voting. But Reagan was the first president, I believe, where uh, a majority of the baby boomer generation could vote, right? So by the time that whole generation, so which was born between 1946 and 1964, um, had the ability to vote someone into office. Reagan was the pick. And baby boomers were such a huge proportion of the U.S. population that, you know, especially in the 1984 election of Ronald Reagan, they, they drove that outcome. To what extent do millennials, when they look at the, the panoply of problems that we've been talking about, the student debt, uh, the workplace, health care that you mentioned, all of these things, to what extent did they look at it and place blame, for lack of a better word, on the boomer generation? I think a lot of millennials do deeply blame and resent the boomer generation. Although one thing, one dynamic that I think is really interesting from talking to both boomers and uh, millennials for this book is that we kind of have a, you know, not my boomer, not my millennial dynamic going on. Where baby boomers that I talk to overwhelmingly say, you know, well, my millennial kid is great. The millennials that I know are fantastic. It's just the rest of your generation that's lazy and, you know, PC snowflakes. And you hear the same thing from, from millennials, you know, who say, well, my parents are wonderful. Yeah, they're boomers, but, you know, they've helped me out so much and they're really great people. It's all those other boomers out there who are, who are <laughs> ruining our lives. Um, so there are, you know, boomers were the first kind of friend parents right? There are these very close personal ties between boomers and millennials. And nearly every millennial I know, you know, can list boomers, including their parents and coaches and teachers and friends and, you know, famous activists uh, who they are quite grateful for and who they admire. But I do think many millennials look at the boomer generation as a whole and do pin quite a bit of the blame on them for what we now face. Is there too much blaming on the part of millennials, because certainly we can't go back and rewrite that history. And even if they were correct about certain parts of it, really the responsibility falls on them to initiate the change. And I think millennials are trying to initiate the change. Um, I think one point of frustration for many millennials is the feeling that boomers are not willing to cede power. That yes, they will impart their wisdom and their experience, but there's still an assumption that millennials are children and millennials today are between the ages of 24 and 40. And yet there's not a single millennial in the U S Senate. 80% of senators are 55 and uh, 55 years old and, and over. So millennials have been shut out of power. And part of the reason for that is that boomers have been unwilling to share it. But certainly millennials could make more, arguably, make more of an effort. They could run for office more. They could have been more politically active. I mean, certainly we do see a couple, I, I agree, not many millennials in Congress. You know, has that been the focus? Has that been enough of a focus 
of their efforts. I'm out here in California, as you know, in the, in the shadow of Silicon Valley. There's a lot of, of really great, really smart people out there that chose that as opposed to politics or government or, or public policy. Had they chosen that path, there might be millennials in the Senate today. But I think you actually do see a lot of millennials, for example, working on campaigns, working in public service jobs. I actually see the gap of millennials, for example, in elected office as relating back to all of the other challenges that we face. It's very expensive to run for office. It's a full-time job. It's very hard if you're you know, a 34-year-old and you can barely afford your rent, you're still paying down your student loans, you're hustling, working you know, one or two or three different jobs to make ends meet, you know, especially if you're a millennial woman and you're a mother and you're also trying you know, to raise a child in a country with, right. without affordable and accessible childcare, you know, there, there are really tremendous barriers. And unfortunately, what we haven't seen is our political parties really investing in, okay, how can we move young people up the ranks? How can we get more millennials in Congress? How can we support millennials uh, in running, you know, even for local office and make sure that this is a, a financially feasible thing? And because millennials are so broke, because we're so struggling, because we're struggling so much, um, running for office, it's a luxury. It's just it's off the table for too many of us. Was that not true for baby boomers as as they came up and, and made the decisions to run for office? I mean, certainly they faced challenges as well. They did. But baby boomers, by this point, by the time that they were between the ages of 24 and 40, they were much more stable. They were more likely than millennials to be married. They were also more likely to get divorced later, but they were more likely to be married. They were much more likely to own their homes. Um, they were more likely to have the kind of steady, stable jobs that came with retirement benefits and maybe even a pension. There was just a level of adult stability, of adult stable life that boomers by the time they were in their thirties were largely able to enjoy. And that's, been taken off the table for millennials. I mean, millennials today are less likely to own their homes than any generation of young adults since those who are living through the Great Depression. So those basic markers of life stability that then allow you to, to grow and to take risks like running for office um, were available to boomers in a way that is just not true of millennials. Talk about choices in terms of places to live. I mean, millennials, you know, the statistic about less of them owning their homes is certainly true. But millennials have gravitated towards more urban environments, and, and that's had an impact. Definitely. And, and some of that is choice. You know, millennials do say that we want to live in places that have great amenities, you know, that have public transportation so we don't have to own a car, that, you know, have great restaurants and bars and where we can have really robust social lives. But a lot of what drives millennials to cities is also the fact that jobs are have, have become incredibly consolidated in urban areas. You know, there is virtually no growth uh, in rural areas at this point. And the landscape that boomers faced was just much more, the jobs are much more diverse in terms of where they were located. So millennials, in order to be employed, in order to have an income, 
really do need to live in big urban centers, whether we want to or not. But we certainly saw, I mean, and this is really what accounted for the growth of so many suburbs during the 50s and 60s, particularly during the 50s, that boomers were also working, boomer men, unfortunately, only men were working in cities and commuting and taking the train in and and driving in and, and all of that. So the jobs were still concentrated in the cities. It just gave rise to all of this suburban culture. Yes. Um, the jobs have become even more <laughs> urban dominated. Um, so there has been a shift. And I think what you saw for boomers, you know, again, was a, a pretty significant federal investment uh, into the kind of housing that they wanted and into the kind of lifestyles that boomers wanted. You know, for example, suburban housing. What millennials now want and need are, you know, investments uh, in urban housing, investments in, you know, the kind of large-scale apartment buildings, for example, that will allow us to live in cities. And you're not seeing that. You're not seeing the government make the same kind of choices. Um, You know, in the meantime, you've seen housing costs double. So the median home in the U.S. is now more than twice what it cost in 1970, you know, even, uh, even with inflation. And you've seen rents do more or less the same thing, that the amount, the cost of renting an average apartment in the U.S., is now almost twice what it was in 1970, which, of course, in turn makes it harder for millennials to save for a down payment for a more expensive home. So, you know, there are really distinct and acute housing challenges that millennials face that boomers didn't, in part because they had a government working to expand their housing options, which millennials just haven't had. Come back to this idea of boomers not ceding power and and the way in which millennials have tried to deal with that um and 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 have they been too gentle in dealing with that you know should it not have been more all about eve along the way yeah i mean you know it's funny my my father is a baby boomer and i asked him to read the book before it before it was published and his big piece of feedback was you know i think that your generation is being you know, too conciliatory. <laughs> he was like, you guys should be rising up. You should be absolutely livid and you should be getting radical. You know, I don't know why your generation isn't fighting back harder. And that is that really resonated with me. And it's really, that feedback has really stuck with me. You know, I, I do think that millennials should be fighting back. I think, you know, unfortunately we are really overburdened in terms of the amount the number of free hours even in our day. You know, millennials are today's young parents. We are today's struggling gig workers. You know, in the middle of a pandemic, more millennials have lost jobs than members of any other generation. Nearly 5 million millennials lost their jobs uh, from February to May alone. So we're struggling. And to then also find time <laughs> to push and seize power when we're depleted, we're broke, and we're exhausted, uh, is a pretty big ask. We, we've circled back to this a few times. I mean, certainly the boomer generation, you know, had kids. I mean, had obligations, had personal obligations, and still managed to find time for some of the things we've been talking about. What's different in that respect? What do you hear is different? Sure. Well, boomers, for example, when they were young adults, were working. Were simply working fewer hours than American adults do now. So compared to 1980. Americans now work almost an extra month per year. So we're spending much more time at work and working for pay, in part because 
wages have stagnated and you need to work more in order to just have the same basic standard of living. Um, you know, boomers also, they did have that stable base. Boomer women did flood into the workforce. Um, you know, at the time, that was, there was a record number of women working outside of the home. But you still had a relatively large number of boomer families where the wife was either not working or only working part time, which then, you know, enabled her to sort of take care of everything that needed to be taken care of around the house. Millennials don't have that. We are much more likely to be two income, two working parent families when we're married. Uh, we stay single a lot longer. We marry a lot later. Um, you know, as I have said, we're less likely to own our homes. And so we really are just kind of more crunched and constrained, whereas boomers very much had the trappings of what we now consider, you know, a quote unquote adult life much sooner. And they had, you know, very little student loan debt, for example, that was also holding them back from enjoying and, and having access to those those trappings of an adult life. What would boomers like to see changed? What would they like to see different in terms of, of the current environment? And, and some of it is policy related, but some of it is also taking advantage of what their, what their strength is, what their superpower is, which is one, their numbers, and two, their education that they bring to it, as we talked about before. Yeah, there, there are a few policies that I hear from millennials overwhelmingly that we would like to see change. Um, often very high on the list is universal child care. I think we, because we think of millennials as children, we don't realize that they are the majority of today's parents of young children. And the fact that millennials don't uh, so often don't have the ability to find you know, affordable care for their children so that they can work is a huge barrier, both for millennial women uh, to achieve equality, but also to even, you know, for example, to go to school. Um, so that's a huge one. Healthcare is a huge one. You know, it's, I'm a millennial, I'm 37. And, you know, one of my biggest fears is that a healthcare emergency could bankrupt my family. And there's no reason why in the midst, uh, you know, in a developed wealthy country, why that has to be the case. So some sort of universal health care is something that I hear millennials say constantly uh, is absolutely necessary and important. You know, I think it's another reason why millennials aren't having as many children and are having children later. You know, a C-section can cost you $50,000 if you're not insured. Um, it's just, it's absolutely nuts. So healthcare is a big one. And finally, doing something about college costs and student loan debt. I mean, so many of us are drowning in debt. I have a law degree. I graduated law school with six-figure student loan debt. You know, when my father went to law school, he worked in the Chicago steel mills over the summer, and that's how he paid his tuition. There was not any summer job that I could have taken <laughs> that was going to pay my law school tuition. Um, so, which I, I think is an illustrative example of, you know, how the landscape that baby boomers were looking out onto was just so different than what millennials faced. So, doing something about our crushing student loan debt and about higher education affordability for younger generations would also be really key, not just in easing millennial pain, but in making sure that what millennials have faced doesn't continue to ripple out uh, to younger generations. Where does Gen X fit into this equation? Oh, poor Gen Xers. They always get ignored <laughs> and they love to complain about it. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of the Jan Brady of the generations, right? Um, you know, Gen Xers, like millennials, 
did were faced significant hardship. Um, you know, they also were not as prosperous as baby boomers. Um, they're a much smaller generation, which is why I think they often get sort of ignored in the middle of that boomer millennial sandwich. And Gen Xers certainly did get hit hard, for example, by the Great Recession of 2008. But while Gen Xers took massive losses in that recession, they also largely recovered. And what you saw is that millennials didn't. Millennials took an earnings hit that is still impacting us and will likely impact us for the rest of our lives. So, you know, Gen Xers were in many ways, I think, the canaries in the coal mine for what millennials are now experiencing. But millennials are having it so much worse. Is it possible that by the time millennials achieve power and achieve the positions that, that we were talking about earlier, that they will have grown out of some of these issues, that they will lose the passion to bring to bear to create these kind of changes? That's a great question. I don't think so. I think, you know, millennials, as I said, are, are turning, the oldest of us are turning 40 this year, and these issues are still dogging us. And one thing that I've noticed, at least anecdotally, is that for so many of us, because we were raised with this promise that, you know, if you just go to college and you work hard and you do things right, you'll wind up with a good, stable life. A lot of us that didn't get there, that looked around and said, well, I don't feel very stable, really internalized that and uh, interpreted that to mean, well, I just have to work harder. I have to hustle harder. I have to take a second gig. I have to <laughs> work into the night. I'm the problem. And I think millennials now are being a little bit radicalized. I think we're looking around and saying, well, wait a minute, all of us are facing these challenges. Maybe we're not all individual failures. <laughs> Maybe there's something bigger going on here. And I think as millennials continue to, to age, um, many of these issues aren't going to go away. And if climate change, for example, is one that is only going to get worse and that for millennials feels certainly quite acute, not just for our futures, but you know, for the futures of our children, um, for even the question of whether it's ethical to have children in a flooding, burning, heating planet. Um, so I actually think that, that these issues are only going to grow more important and that you're only going to see millennials growing more and more frustrated. And finally, is there some kind of bond that might evolve between millennials and Gen Z that will help drive this forward, exactly what you're talking about? Absolutely. And I think you're already seeing that. You know, when you look at the protests uh, for the Black Lives Matter movement that have been out on the streets uh, across the U.S. and frankly across the world all summer long, you know, you look at the faces of who's out there and most people are under the age of 40. It really is millennials and Gen Z, you know, in this multiracial black leg coalition working together. So Gen Z, you know, is already set to inherit so much of what millennials experienced and to see it magnified. You know, I think the unfortunate truth is that millennials may just be a bit of a lost generation. I don't know that we're going to be able to recoup uh, so much of what we lost, but I don't think it's too late for Gen Z. And I think when Gen Zers, you know, look at millennials who are trying very mightily to make things better, they certainly see an investment in that same future. Jill Filipovic, her book is OK, Boomer, Let's Talk. How My Generation Got Left Behind. Jill, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.